general nerdery. Nerddom, the final frontier. These are the voyages of your generals of nerdery. Their ongoing mission to explore new fandoms and... Damn, I don't have something for civilizations. You didn't even mention the star date. Well, that doesn't come until Oh, that doesn't come until afters. You're better at this than I am. I I wrote down the star date from this episode, just so that we... (laughs) uh, Star date 42523.7. May 23rd, 2453, I think. Yeah. There we go. I could be way off on that one. Star dates have always super confused me. Anyways... Not that we're giving away our intro at all, but we are General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. I need to get my general hat on. That's, yeah, oh, for shame, man. Because uh, you all can see that. Yeah, it's very important. Uh, we're here to talk to you today about Star Trek, which, spoiler alert, is my favorite TV show of all time. But in the meantime, I think we have some news. I think you're right, and first we're going to start off while it's still fresh in our mind. Yesterday was the Super Bowl, and that gave us our first glimpses at WandaVision, Loki, and... Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. I like that you said fresh in my mind when I only found out yesterday was the Super Bowl when someone at work asked me what time the game started, and they had to explain to me what game they were talking about. <laughs> I watched it. I do the sports. Uh, uh, anyways... I hate both teams that were involved, but I watched it. (laughs) Loki, Falcon and Winter Soldier, or possibly Winter Soldier and Falcon, I don't know which, and WandaVision, which is the Scarlet Witch and Vision. Mm -hmm. What'd you think? uh, WandaVision looks most interesting out of all of them. WandaVision looks trippy. Now, we should note, this is a 30-second trailer that covered three different shows. We got... If it was 30 seconds? We have very base images to talk about here, but... We got to see a couple of cool things. Yeah, WandaVision. I, I forgot how much I like the live-action Vision prosthetics that they do. They do a really good job of making him look like the Vision from the comics. Now, WandaVision, I mean, I don't know how much it's... I mean, I'm guessing it's her powers warping shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess it's a little bit of a uh, Avengers disassembled situation. But it kind of looks... Like, they're flipping through a bunch of different sitcoms. Except it's all Wanda and Vision. You know, as I talked about on... I don't know, when we were talking about Joker. uh, I love that we are doing more things and more genre-bending with superheroes. So, this one is suddenly way more interesting to me than it was before. Uh, One looked very uh, I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke show. One looked very Brady Bunch-ish. Mm-hmm. The other one looked more vaguely 80s. Uh, I, I couldn't quite get a read on maybe what sitcom I would tie it to. Yeah, I don't know 80s sitcoms well enough to really like dive in on that front. One, she kind of looked like Reba, which I guess will count for, <laughs> what, like late 90s, early 2000s sitcoms? Oh, like... I forgot about Reba. I didn't like it. But it was always on right after the cartoon, so I watched it sometimes. Uh, and we saw at least one look when they were flipping through real quick of her in basically the classic outfit. Yeah, she had the, like, headpiece. I love the Scarlet Witch headpiece, and it's all that was missing to me from the movies. Mm. Put her, like, yes, I get that the rest of the swimsuit costume doesn't work very well. 
putting her in a long red trench coat, classic comic book, make this work look. But without the headpiece, she just doesn't look like the Scarlet Witch to me. If we're flipping through all these looks, my fingers are crossed we get to see White Vision. That was my first vision. The, the, when he was dressed, uh, monochromatic, just all mm-hmm. white. Yeah. That was early, what, that was early 90s, I think. And that's so. the one that appeared in the video game. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I'm not a huge fan of that one just because it looks washed out compared to everyone else, like in a bright and colorful team. But I guess I can see the appeal at the same time. I think he just looks so much like Moon Knight that I'm like, yes. I'm down. (laughs) It's one of the very few occasions where a all-white superhero costume doesn't bother me. A lot of the times I'm like, do you have any idea how dirty that would be like four seconds into your nightly run? (laughs) Moon Knight kind of bothered. I mean, I get it. It works really well. It looks great. But if I ever stop and think about it, I'm like, oh, that's just a nightmare. (laughs) So much bleach. (laughs) Iron Fist had a white costume for a little while. I had the same thought process i don't know my favorite iron fist is one they did recently where he's pretty much just wearing like the bruce lee outfit oh okay like black and yellow tracksuit, except like reversed from the bruce lee mm. with some slight collar to it and his iron fist mask i thought it was a really good oh, way of I like that simplifying and kind of making his costume still kind of 70s like he wouldn't be out of place but not as wildly 70s as the original Iron Fist, like, most of his chest-showing mm-hmm. costume looks. Falcon Winter Soldier. We saw about three seconds of it. We saw Sam throwing the that shield. dope. And I will like say that looked pretty cool. good. <laughs> um, and then we saw Winter Some... Soldier confronting Baron Zemo, who mm-hmm. was the villain from Civil War. Uh, I will be interested to see more happen with Zemo because he's so... He's so different completely from the Baron Zemo from the comic books, where he's either a Nazi or the son of a Nazi. We just saw classic Wanda. Do we see classic Zemo? Probably not. It, <laughs> I, I suspect that we're going to see Zemo. One, he wears a purple bag over his head for a costume. And oh, I also have my fingers crossed for that, though. Come yeah, on, no, give me be, purple bag Zemo. I will be happy and entertained. I just don't see it happening. I see that one being a much more, like, spy thriller look Mm -hmm. and then loki we had hiddleston smiling yeah we had hiddleston smiling and it looked like he was in like a sanitarium uniform maybe or a prison uniform and then we got to see his logo trip out but he had the least footage out of the three he said he was going to kill everyone in this place it looked like he was being interviewed or something i don't know loki appears in prisons and sanitariums a lot it seems like in fiction uh, it happened in American Gods, it's happened in actual Marvel Loki several times. It kind of fits a... It's a good place to set up a show about a trickster god. I'm really curious what they're going to do with that one. Yeah. That one I'm most curious about, WandaVision I'm most excited for. And if I'm they... most trusting in Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's the one that I think has the least potential to go off the rails. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be kind of a straightforward, kind of continuing the Bourne thing a little bit. Yeah, sweet, you know. A little bit of growth, like, let's watch him become Captain America. As much as I enjoyed uh, Civil War, I was always kind of disappointed that Captain America 3 was basically Avengers 2.5. Like, I would have really loved to see 
some of the stuff that they brought in in uh, Winter Soldier just advanced a little farther. That they didn't because they had to fit in like 15 other superheroes. It's the price we pay. So this one's just a really quick update because we've been giving all the casting updates for the past as long as we've been a podcast. Oh, Batman. Production has officially started. Oh, good. So. Do they have a release date on that one, do you know? Or? I'm positive they do because that's how every studio does things these days. They release announce the release first. date first. Oh, which so bass backwards too. I really don't like that. I get it, especially as they keep this hype train rolling, but... Well, and then ever, if the release date ever changes, people freak out one way or the other, and sometimes it's just... But it's still free press. <laughs> yeah. Just for changing a date. <laughs> I... Comic book reporting, and I'm gonna count movie report... Like, comic book movie reporting under this, because uh, it's often like comicbook.com, and I'm... Sl- slamming a company that I have no need to be slamming. <laughs> uh, Whatevercompany.com they they get so obsessive with it and people think so heavily about every tiny detail now. And sometimes I think it was just better when things came out and we reacted when things came out. But it's, it's not way of the world anymore. It is what it is. This one I find mostly just a little bit interesting because they do so well with so many of their other properties that they've gotten their hands on. But CW is really, really trying really hard to make a Lost Boys adaptation work. They've been trying for a while now, haven't they? Yeah, they had a cast that they then brought on, I think, a new showrunner and completely... I I don't know if they'd even made a first pilot with that cast. And then now they've scrapped it. Oh. And so now they're getting... a entirely different cast and an entirely new pilot done they're really trying to make it work really hard i I feel kind of bad for the first cast but who knows maybe it was terrible i i i think there might be they might i think they're on cast two and maybe director showrunner number three they i don't know why they keep trying so hard at this point but well, it's not as bad as something else that i'm about to bring up i was too. gonna say nostalgia trip and also they want to make that vampire diaries money again that's also oh shit i forgot because vampire diaries finished it vampire diaries finished and now supernatural's on its final season or has finished its final season or the final season is around i don't watch the show so i don't really mm-hmm. know details but they desperately need a uh, fantasy horror kind of show to well, and, replace that. And because the Charmed reboot isn't doing nearly as well as they hoped it would. Didn't take off. Uh, and so they have the, all their comic book properties and they have after, not Afterlife with Archie, just Riverdale. They have this whole area of fandom that they definitely have on, have had on lock for like 15 years now that they can need easily more. go away if they don't get that replacement show in. Right, because those other shows were more straight ahead, everyone knows this kind of supernatural stuff weird, whereas, like, Riverdale apparently gets really weird, but it's more Lynchian weird. (laughs) Yeah, and turning Archie into a David Lynchian teen drama (laughs) murder show is... I'm not always the biggest fan of Archie comics, but they are willing to take such risks the last ten years that I have to respect them. Afterlife with Archie, Archie vs. Predator, just... The Archie series that they had Mark Wade write that rebooted Archie that made me mad it was so good. Like, Archie is not supposed to be good. So something else people just won't let die. Yeah. The Crow is back in active development at Sony. Oh, who's on it this time? It's still too early to tell. 
But it's I'm guessing it's not going to be Tom Hiddleston. It's not going to be Jason Momoa. And it's not going to be um, Bradley Cooper. Because they've all three already been attached in the past ten I years. I didn't know about Bradley Cooper. I knew about the other two. I don't... I like The Crow. I wonder how much it would... If it would be in its place in like fandom if the son of Bruce Lee, its main star, didn't die mid-production, Production. which really added to that like 90s goth appeal that it had. It, uh, yeah, I, the, it arguably it still probably would have gained the cult following it has, but that sort of got the word out instantly, and everyone sort of viewed it right off the bat, and... Given that like grunge was going at the time, and its soundtrack is baller. Yeah, its soundtrack is killer. It's such a product of its time, though, that like I don't really care about remix too much, one way or the other. If you do it well, great. I don't know if you can do the crow in the not, not early '90s era and have it work. I'll be really curious. Every time, or I guess this entire time, they've been trying to to redo it. The entire word has been this version would be closer to the comic. Because the movie's kind of its own thing at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, and it's very weird because it is one of the few adaptations where it goes its own way and the majority of the fandom still loves both products. But, because, oh my god, I'm a big, I'm a big Crow fan. I've been a giant Crow fan for a while. I, in my emo teenage years, wrote crow quotes on my arms oh to my put on my God, myspace like, that does not surprise me <laughs> at all a uh, little known fact <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i think i currently have at least two versions in the other room since i had to get the the complete edition once they finally put it out with the sparkle horse segment so oh man like i i love the crow i even like the cities of angel soundtrack not the movie but the Sea of Angels soundtrack was pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, I liked the TV show. I forgot there was a TV show. I watched the Highlander TV show, though, for a while, so I don't expect... I've been willing to watch things that aren't that good in retrospect. Uh, oh, I liked... I loved the Highlander TV show. Those two were, like... Those were my jam. Crow and Highlander TV shows. Highlander's another one that they've been talking about remaking for years. Gerard Butler was attached at one point. I don't know if it can be done without the insanity that is Clancy Brown and Christopher Lambert 80s-ing it through the 80s while you... Queen plays in the background. <laughs> like, I think Clancy Brown could still do it. Mm. I'll let Clancy Brown do anything. I mean, we saw him in Mandalorian being the strongman not that long ago, and that guy is not young. No. Anyway, they still want to do the crow real bad. Okay. Um... Period piece it. It's 80s, 80s are in. It's late 80s. And we're late getting 80s towards the 90s, end of yeah. the 80s, so... Of the 80s being in. We're getting into the 90s being in, so... That's a good era to talk about it. Like, so yeah, period it piece it. Anytime they tried to go into the future and out of that, it was really terrible, so... And uh, be willing to spend the money on the soundtrack to actually get all the songs that are referenced in the comic. Yeah, and just do it right. That's all. Like, if you could, if you did it right, you could do it very well. I'm so bummed the Hiddleston version didn't go through. I think Hiddleston would have been. I think it would have been better than the Momoa version, and I'm not insulting Momoa, but (laughs) that doesn't make sense. He's. (laughs) I have seen him play several roles. They're all different, but none of them are 
quite the level of angst that you need the crow to be. Now, what about Bradley Cooper? Wasn't he Rocket Raccoon? Yeah. I don't see that at all. He's fucking I, Hangover. <laughs> I only really know him through Rocket Raccoon, though, so, like, that's... <laughs> okay, fair. It's the crow he's... being like, we need that guy's arm! He's up in the air for me. I think he could pull it off since I've seen him in a couple other things. Um, and he was in that, that, what, everyone fucking loved that Star is Born, right? Like, he's in that. And he oh, directed that. I did see that. that. I don't remember much of it, but I saw it. Yeah. Um, so, I think I think he has the chops, but it's probably not going to be any of those three, since they've all, all fallen off the project already. Like, it's always, that, that movie's basically Teenage Angst the movie. Like, let a teenager do it. Netflix has announced a live-action One Piece. Okay. I, I know that you I, were just tried reading it. And as I said, I don't like it. No one I know seems to have any faith in the live-action Netflix anime adaptions. I've not seen any of them, so I don't know. I... Ooh, does Bleach count? Bleach was partially done in conjunction with Netflix, I believe. We'll count it. I That's dug fine. it. I dug it. I'm a big fan of Bleach. They've done, what, Bleach, Death Note, Full Metal Alchemist... Full Metal was weird, but I didn't hate it. I understood the liberties that they took with it, but it still... It started out better than it ended. Yeah, it happens. It actually started really strong. Netflix is not the strongest at sticking the landing, I've noticed. The Death Note one, I haven't heard the greatest of things from fans of the original series... People who don't know Death Note at all that have seen it have told me that they fucking loved it. I know, I I know the basic premise of Death Note. I don't know. As I said, I've never seen these, so I don't. Mm-hmm. I know the Cowboy Bebop one was being made, but it sounds like it got put on hold after someone hurt themselves or something like that. Oh, that's like, right. I know that I knew that it was being made, and the casting actually seemed pretty good. The casting seemed better than some of the other casting choices that had been rumored over the years. So. That one is risky. Oh, Just because yeah. Cowboy Bebop is so good. Uh, it was going to be John Cho. Is he starring not, as Spike. Is, and I think he hurt himself, and I don't know if it's still going on or what's... I don't know. Uh, we'll have more news for that when it comes. Yeah. One Piece could be really fun, or it could be really bad. The thing that bothered me most about One Piece was the art, so... Maybe give it to me in a way that the art doesn't bother me, and it might prove really good. I, s- I should have brought this up earlier, yeah. when we were still talking about it. But even though we didn't get to see much of Loki, we did get some other news this week. Oh, what's that? Owen Wilson has been cast in Loki. I did hear about that. The <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who in the cast of characters that interact kind of decently regularly with Loki, do you think Owen Wilson could be playing? I don't know. Every couple years, any, ever since Thor came out and Tom Hiddleston made Loki really cool, Loki gets his own series every year or two. And they tend to use generally an entirely new cast for it because turns out being friends with Loki doesn't go well for people. <laughs> Fair. Uh, <laughs> so I would guess, like, just some standard mortal that Loki is fucking with. Although, it would be kind of funny to see him as, like, a Norse legend, a Norse hero from old. I know the reason why my mind immediately went to this place. Come on, uh, and it's because of Shanghai Noon. 
Because otherwise, I don't think he fits his character at all. But I can't think of the character's name. But no, the the gunslinging... He he didn't hang out with Loki, but in the Jason Aaron run of Thor, which they're leading into because we've already... Love and Thunder. Yeah, because they've already said that, you know, Natalie's going to be Mighty mighty Thor and Love and Thunder and all that. So that ties into the Aaron run and the War of the Realms. And there was one of the elves that was like... The pistol-shooting cowboy elf. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that would be perfect, actually. Like... I can't think of his name, but... A weird elf that became a cowboy after discovering, like, old westerns from the mortal realm? I don't know. I don't think he's pretty enough for that role, but... (laughs) I just want to see, like... And give him, like, the World of Warcraft, like, style ears. Like, just go really lean into the stupid elf look. so good. (laughs) Also, that character's great, and I wish they'd use him all the time, but... I didn't get a chance to read it. War of Realms had a mini series where Spider Man had to lead that team, and I was just like, "I'm in." Like, I just, I'm down. Oh, that that team is an interesting group. What basically, basically one member from each of the realms. So they were like the League of Realms or something. Yeah, like that. And they like, really yeah. don't get along that well. Well, it's a dark elf and a light elf and a dwarf and a. Ice Giant, I think, was in there, too. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure the Ice Giant ends up getting killed. Does yeah, the probably. Troll get killed, too? Anyway. The Troll's the one I was forgetting about. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Paul Rubens wants to make a dark Pee-wee movie. What does that mean? Uh, according to him, he's been writing this movie for a long time, and it would begin with Pee-wee getting out of prison... Uh, become a yodeling star, move to Hollywood, become a movie star, and develop a severe pill and alcohol addiction that turns him into a monster, gets sent to a mental hospital, and has to recuperate. Paul Rubens, what is your life? And he says that it's about fame. If it was anybody other than Pee Wee himself wanting to do it, I wouldn't be as on board. I I want to see Paul. I don't even know how to, like, process this information. Like, oh, I made this kid's show about Pee Wee Herman, and then I made a couple of, like, fun movies that actually were fun for adults, too. Alright, now we're going to... I, I don't even just... That, that is the weirdest thing to turn edgy possibly ever. Apparently, this was the movie that he was actually trying to get Judd Apatow to do. But Apatow wanted to go a much lighter way, and that's when they did uh, Pee-wee's Big Holiday on Netflix. I've never seen Pee-wee's Big Holiday. I haven't watched it yet either. Um, I like Pee-wee. I'm not as bored on Pee-wee as some, as some other people I know. but uh, I remember enjoying Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I The, the Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee, the show, I don't remember what the specific name is. The Pee-wee's Playhouse? Yes. Um... My stepdad used to watch it on DVD a lot, and it kind of drove me up a wall. But that might have more to do with arguments a teenager had with a stepdad than it than it actually did with Pee Wee Herman. Uh, he's only asking for like fifteen million for it. I kind of oh, hope somebody throws him only fifteen million. Well, they did they did thirty million for Pee Wee's Big Holiday. Okay, so it's doable. I say somebody do it. Like I said, if it was anybody else being like, I just want to turn Pee Wee dark. I'd be like, yeah, we're good. But it's Pee-wee. I want to see what his idea of Dark Pee-wee is. So. I'm just, yeah. I'm surprised Paul Rubens d- just doesn't have like $15 million he can just drop. Yeah. I think 
I think some of that went to like legal fees. And yeah, stuff. no, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> not judging. It's not like I have fifteen million dollars to drop. If I did, sure, give it a shot. And uh, the last two bits of news are kind of. I consider them news. They're huge, giant things that just sort of happened, uh, but they're also kind of spoilery, so warned for this news section. Last episode of Arrow aired, and Diggle gets a power ring. Yep, I knew about that. I saw the trailer for it. If they don't do anything with it, I'm going to be really annoyed by that, because if that was just like, okay, goodbye. Well, I guess him and Lila are moving to Metropolis as well. Yeah, so... They could bring him into Lois and Clark, at least as, like, recurring, mm-hmm. which would work really well. I really like Diggle, but I would just be annoyed if they are like, look at this big hook. Okay, we're never going to talk we're about this We're not again. ever going to touch this. No, I'm... That's super exciting. Like I said, it has to do with the series finale, so mm. I didn't really want to not spoiler warn that. Um, Doctor Who... Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, You've actually watched it, right? Because I yeah, haven't watched it. I, I did not watch the episode that came out yesterday as of when we recorded, so I've seen the first, I think it's four. Uh, the big news one that's come out is the uh, the something of the Jadoon. The Jadoon. Uh, Fugitive of the Jadoon. Fugitive of the Jadoon. Uh, and it is a really big episode of Doctor Who. Everyone that was complaining last season about it being like too small and quiet, they are definitely not small and quiet this year. Uh, starting with the return of Captain Jack Harkness, which made me so much more happier than I expected to be. And I was already really ha- happy when I heard it was going to happen, but they, they did a really good job. And just Jack being eternally excited when he finds out the Doctor is a woman now was just endlessly funny. That's awesome. Like he meets Graham, the old man, the older man companion, thinks it's the doctor and immediately smooches him. Graham's <laughs> like, excuse me, like, uh, drop some loaning warnings about the last Cyberman, and I'm like, that's a great hook. That's what the the big villain or the big secret of this episode is going to be or series is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then they immediately overshadow everything they did in that scene by introducing a version of the doctor. That, by all clues, must come before any of the Doctors we've met before. Or at least before Jodie Whittaker. Who has, who Jodie has no memory of being. And this Doctor... Is a black woman. And do you know that actress's name? Because she's awesome. Joe Martin. Good job, Joe Martin. I... It, sorry, I, we already warned spoilers. You, It starts with Joe Martin with her memory hidden through, like, a chameleon arch like Tennant did a couple of times. And then when it's opened, she becomes the Doctor, and the just the shift of body posture was such a good job of, like, normal human being to the Doctor. And, like, kind of the hardest version of the Doctor we've ever met. She was no-nonsense ballsy. Oh. She carried around a gun for a while, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. But even that, I kind of got sold on. So, like... I'm even more curious now. Oh, I, we have to get caught up. I need you to get caught up so I can talk to someone other than CC about it. Because we stayed up till like 11.30 midnight when I had to work at 6 the next day. Because <laughs> we need to talk about this. Yeah, so that was huge. Definitely worth mentioning. Definitely news. We now have a black woman doctor. 
a whole new doctor. A new and, doctor is news anyway. A surprise new doctor that we've never ever seen before is giant news. For it to be a black woman is even giant is, news. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, and what it means is really interesting because it's Jody's confirmed at least personally, if not like officially, that she's coming back for another season after this. Mm-hmm. So because people are like, oh, is this going to be the next doctor we're meeting? But it doesn't look to be that way. I don't. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm very excited. Um, as much as I love Jody, it's been a while since Doctor Who has been wildly surprising to me, and I was not expecting this. I definitely wasn't expecting to see those headlines, so I'm super excited. Uh, but that's it for the news. That's that's good news. That's good news. There's a lot of good, good news. Lots of good news. All right. What uh, what have we been ingesting media wise? I uh, I told this to to uh, Malark, the guy on my other podcast, and he's like, "What meat have you been ingesting?" <laughs> yes, we're just going to talk about specific steaks in the middle. Uh, of- yeah, I had some ground beef yesterday uh, when I watched, yeah. and some nachos when nice. I when I watched the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what what media have you been ingesting? Uh, well, the biggest one for me this week, I have two things uh, that are outside the norm because I'm still way deep into Red Dead. Mm-hmm. The Good Place series finale was this week. I've heard nothing but good things. That show ended so beautifully. It, honestly, you kind of could have uh, ended it the episode before, and they just made an even bigger wrap-up. <laughs> and on a show where... Uh, this isn't really a spoiler, because it, it's kind of in the premise of the show. All the characters have been dead from the beginning. The last episode is kind of a really beautiful episode about accepting death and accepting having to move on not even in just death like one of the characters is just moving on into another portion of her life nice and it i cried twice three times maybe three times you know what? a good sitcom can inspire some tears scrubs did that for me brooklyn 99 did that actually brooklyn 99 made me know i wanted to propose to my fiance I was watching the wedding episode i'm like i want this i'm like (laughs) oh okay apparently i feel stronger about this than i was expecting um, and it's also, I mean, that show accomplished so much for me. It's not often a show ends up giving you an afterlife that's better than the one proposed by any of the religions you've heard oh, God, in your life. Show. <laughs> by the end. Uh-huh. Maybe not in the beginning. Uh, any other media? Uh, the other big thing was I finished, uh, reading, uh, Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour. Ooh, or Wonder that... Woman and Justice League Dark, The Witching Hour, with James Tinney in the Force. Really good things about that. It, I, it's it's kind of halfway my recommend for this week too. I want to throw out another recommend once we get to the end of the episode. But I picked up the second volume of Justice League Dark, which is right after that, but mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. The this new Justice League Dark, uh, combined with The Witching Hour for sure, especially with The Witching Hour is kind of a good place if people were interested in these characters to jump in. There's constant references to some of the things that are the Mm -hmm. major events for uh, at least a couple of these characters. And especially The Witching Hour, because it has so much to do with Wonder Woman, who is normally not a part of this world. Yeah, Wonder Woman's always been a magical character, but one of the fun things about Justice League Dark is it's the first time she's really had to interact with, like, the magical side of the universe. Yeah, she's dealt with the Greek gods, but any other part of it, they're just like, ah, oh, whatever, go go hang out with Superman. 
And she kind of ends up being like the audience viewpoint character in a way mm. because of that, uh, being the newbie on the scene. And there's, it, it's really good at showing how she's not all wrong in what she wants to do, but she's new. Yeah. And that, that fresh viewpoint works for and against her very strongly in Justice League Dark. And for anyone who writes off the magic characters as being like, well, isn't doesn't magic just mean you can make anything happen anytime you want? And so these char- these stories are really dumb because why didn't they just do this from the beginning? It shows how a good writer writes the magic characters and how magic has to have a cost. That's what I was going to say. It doesn't matter what your magic system is. If it doesn't have a cost, it's not a very good magic system. And so this is very much Wonder Woman learning that a lot of the times on this side of the the action and saving the universe fence, there's not a good choice, and the choice is going to cost you. Yeah. In a way, it's a weird intro to her being Constantine, but... uh no i was really impressed with how it was done i think it's actually a really good intro point if anyone wanted to check out those supernatural characters so yeah great job um let's see what if i i finished off the original run of spider gwen uh jason latour and robbie rodriguez and i recommend it um it is not the most full-throated recommendation that I've ever given, but it is extremely good book, so at the same time, uh, I keep thinking of in the, like, postscript that Jason Latour wrote for it, he's like, this is not the perfect book, but it's a book that took risks and was trying to be cool, and it did both of those things very well. It, it made decisions that you would never see in, like, the main universe Marvel, which I just, I really appreciated, and the art was top-notch from beginning to end. Uh, what else? I, uh, oh, I watched Night's Tale. Oh, Again, yeah. I have not seen this in forever. I forgot how much of a teen movie it really is. Like, it is the 90s high school romance teen movie to a T, except with jousting. And classic rock. And classic rock. Golden and it's so good. Golden rules. I was like, this is gonna be dumb, but I'll kind of probably enjoy myself. And I was just like, this is, oh, it's really good. Oh, yeah, I love that movie so much. I uh, I try to quote it at least once a year when trudging through the snow. Trudging. Do trudge. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then talk about some Star Trek. Let's talk about some Star Let's Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, I'm so surprised we're not talking about Star Trek right now. Star Trek. So, Star Trek. As I said at the beginning of this, Star Trek, and honestly, when we're saying that, I mean kind of next-gen Deep Space Nine and Voyager all mixed into one thing is, like, my favorite TV show of all time. Now, we did narrow this down. Yes, we narrowed it to a specific episode, but just, like, I need to get across my level of obsessive fandom here. Absolutely, and, (laughs) I mean, it is the first time we've talked in depth about Star Trek, so quick overview, what is Star Trek? Star Trek is speculative fiction about mankind exploring in the future. It is, it is at its best hopeful, even when things don't seem hopeful. It is less an action series, although they do attempt action in literally all of them and 50-50 results. But it is about these people more than it is about this action. Uh, Star Wars is an action movie. Star Trek 
is a people piece. With some action. With some action, yeah. I'm not, I'm not pretending that there's, you know, not laser guns and Klingons. And, oh my god, I love the Klingons. Oh, we all um, love the Klingons. We, we almost did a Klingon episode here, and I decided against it for... Just because I, I wanted to do a Data Picard episode here. Uh, because Picard was coming out soon, and I was like, oh, that'd be a perfect one. And then we found out how perfect it was. We'll get to that. Yeah, what uh, what was your first experience with Star Trek? Do you remember? Next Gen. You, like, no, I uh, no, it was it must have been Next Gen. Um, I wasn't a big fan of it growing up. It was what was it was the most watchable thing for me on TV when I would get home from school. Yeah, most of the time. Every once in a while, maybe like. Like, I, I loved the movie Zulu, and so, like, if that was playing over on History Channel... You'd go watch that. I'd go watch that, and that was playing a lot back in the day. Um, stuff like that, but most of the time, it was right when I got home, it would be midway through an episode, sometimes a little bit before, sometimes a little bit after, depending on how well the bus did that day. When I finally got Netflix and watched through all of Star Trek, there were a lot of episodes that I was like... Oh, I've seen the second half of this one. And I didn't not like it. It didn't really grab me that much. Sometimes it grabbed me more than others. Uh, I'd always go watch all the movies whenever they came out. I have... I've seen all of the movies because I had friends that were bigger fans than I were. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some original series. Uh, Mostly next-gen, though. Mostly half-episodes. I have... I would wager to say I've seen almost every next-gen episode, but most of it is only the last half. That's fair. Uh, let's... I had seen this episode before. Actually, when this... you mentioned this one, I was like, oh, I kind of remember that. So. This is a great episode. Uh, I have seen... I have watched Star Trek literally all of my life. Next Gen launched in the summer of 1987. I was born in the summer of 1988. Uh, I grew up watching Star Trek. I grew up watching Star Trek reruns. Like, once those ended, Mom had a crush on Worf, especially when he got <laughs> the ponytail... My sister had a crush on Riker, oddly before he got the beard and not after the beard, which is the exact opposite of literally every other person I've heard talk about Riker. Uh, I was so glad when you told me this was a bearded Riker episode. (laughs) Uh, Season one of Next Gen is a legendarily bad show, which I think is a little unfair. There's some really interesting episodes on it. There are the worst episodes of the history of Star Trek in that season, too, though. So, like, they're not necessarily wrong. But, uh, Biker, Biker, Riker doesn't have a beard in the first season. No, I hate it. And he looks super young. I hate looking at his face. And so you can... He needs to cover some of his face. You can tell that it's going, whether good or bad, it's going to be a journey when you log on, or log on to Netflix, put on Star Trek, and Riker doesn't have a beard. I, I, I'll just keep saying it. I don't like He apparently, before he got that job, used to go to comic book conventions dressed as Captain America, and people would pay to take pictures of him. Oh, shit. And he was apparently really good at it, which doesn't surprise I could, me. I could see that. Jonathan Frakes is supposed to be an extremely nice man, and I've always gotten that impression of him. I could see that. Here's a question. Has Riker aged well for you as a character? I would have to think about that a lot harder. Because... I don't have strong opinions about it one way or the other. I really like Riker. I he suffers a lot from the, the perils I, of late eighties, early nineties screenwriting. Um, I was gonna say I feel like my memory on all of Next Gen is very fuzzy, and that that cast. But as I remember, 
whenever they needed a prototypically male character it was Riker it was Riker if there was going to be some sexy times that he was real confident was going to work out it was going to be Riker yeah and I, I, I only ask because I know some people who really love Riker as a positive male role model and other people are like Riker shut the hell up and I don't know which answer is right the answer is probably both of them uh, I would have to re-examine a lot of it, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't have enough good memories. Anyways, uh, the episode we're watching here is Season 2, Episode 9, I think 9. Season 2, Episode 9, Measure of a Man. It is written by Melinda M. Snodgrass. Uh, the, the basic theme of this one is that Data has to go on trial to determine if he is a sentient being with rights and privileges or if he is a machine owned by Starfleet. So I loved the cold open with the poker. Yes. This is the first time you ever see the Enterprise crew playing poker together. Because that became kind of a recurring thing, right? The final scene of the show was Picard joining them for poker night for the first time. Oh, okay. Like, poker became such an intrinsic part so dropping in and making it a major part of this episode, I think, worked really well. I loved that opening and the way it plays out, even though it was. I watch a lot of stuff so I could see some of the tropes coming. Yeah. But then I'd also realize that I've seen this episode before, so maybe it was just memories coming back to me. And it's kind of obvious, though, that, like, Frakes is going to fucking bluff. I didn't realize he had nothing on his bluff. I thought he just had... Riker bluffs a lot in poker and keeps winning because of it, which is remarkable to me, but uh, Data's playing poker for the first time gets whooped by it. Uh, I always forget how much I enjoy watching uh, Brent Spiner play the... especially in the early seasons, the very innocent Data Mm -hmm. of... He, he's so open and for a for a creature with no emotions he's so open with his emotions and his inquisitiveness and kind of confusion but you can see him take it all in too and it and it's not in a weird like it's it's in a weird robotic taking it in but it's not expressed that way it's very sweet yeah uh cc is very in love with data most most fans i know are very in love with data so i guess that's just there's something so pure about the character and that really does come through strongly in this episode part of me just because i really like to see this Mm -hmm. and it's arguable that it's there i will throw that out because as soon as i wrote it down i realized that i'd be able to argue against the, the point that i was making but i did wish that we saw this opening mirrored more in the court sequence yeah data's not a major part of the court sequence. no it's very much all picard and he's not bluffing on holding nothing. He makes a really good case. This is Riker makes a really good case. Or no, no, no Picard, Picard really does. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because that that would be the the analog to, uh, because he wins, and so he would have to be Riker in this, in the court case for yeah, the airing. I, I guess I could see the argument being that his arguments were all along the lot more like theoretical line. Well. And that Riker's was... argument was very, like, by the book, look, he's a robot. But uh, to, to get a little further back in this, uh, first of all, we before we find anything out about what's going on with Data, we meet Picard's ex-girlfriend. So, 
This was the weirdest part of the episode to me. Not knowing the show as well. Yeah. Has the audience... We never see her before or after this. She is a purely one character episode. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna, I was curious if like, or what about the Stargazer stuff? Uh, the Stargazer was Picard's previous ship. Okay. It was. You actually see it in one episode of season one. They find the wreckage of it. Uh, it was lost in a battle with the Ferengi, which was one of the first encounters with the Ferengi. It was it. Picard himself basically describes it as an old piece of crap, but the one that he loved. He loved the ship. It was his first command. Uh, Crusher's husband slash Wesley Crusher's dad served on board with him, I think, as first officer, but I don't know if that's ever confirmed. We do know that Picard is really, really close friends with Jack Crusher. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and according to this one, he was put on court-martial after he was after the Stargazer was lost because he lost a ship, but he's kind of infamous for the battle where the Stargazer was lost because he develops a new battle tactic that they start, like, that was so good they start uh, teaching it at Starfleet Academy, being like, holy shit, that was, that was brilliant. Okay. So I thought it was a little weird that it was court-martialed, but as she says here, it is standard procedure, I guess, to court-martial and just be like, tell me straight, did you fuck up? Okay, no? Good. Glad you're okay. <laughs> uh, so the Stargazer reference at least makes sense if you had been watching the show. But, yeah, but who the... But this chick and... Who the side piece that's thirsty for Picard while hating him? Their whole thing reminded me of the season of House where House and Cuddy are actually kind of together, and it was weird, but... <laughs> they... I kind of enjoy it when they show that Picard used to have this like really rowdy and exciting life because he's so calm. He's so sure of himself. He's very measured in everything that he does throughout all of Star Trek. So the idea that there was like a young rambunctious getting into trouble Picard, which comes up a couple of times, is always entertaining to me. Because like for me, Picard is, and this episode covers it really well, Picard was one of my earliest sources of, like, ethical lessons. Oh, okay. Like, and that makes it sound like my parents didn't do anything. And obviously my parents taught me basic ethics and stuff. Yeah. But, like, watching this episode was a really good way of, like, learning about the concept of personhood at a very young age without necessarily realizing that I was learning life lessons. Yeah, which this show was really good at, I guess. Yeah, this show loved its life lessons. It also loved, and it doesn't come up in this one as much, but Picard stone-cold threatening to kill someone, but in such a, like, genteel, honorable way that it doesn't sound like it until you think about it afterwards. (laughs) But he'll be like, yes, hello, other ship that's threatening me. Maybe we should talk, because if it came to arms, you would be at a disadvantage. And you're like... Picard just threatened to murder that guy. (laughs) Like, Uh, you get the. I I just have to bring up because it it wasn't only a little bit after those two talk that you get the cut to the intro of the show, and I'm like, oh, that score. Yeah. Oh my god, it's (laughs) iconic. Uh, I didn't like the design of the Enterprise when I was younger because I wanted like. Sleeker, more Star Warsy. Star Wars ships look cooler, but I would rather be on a Star Trek ship any day oh, of the yeah. week. And the because the, the technology difference is ridiculous. Well, the Galaxy <laughs> class is so comfortable and it's very pretty. It is a 
it is not a utilitarian design, but it it just looks so good. Mm-hmm. Bruce Maddox. The most punchable man in, like, this entire season of Star Trek. Uh, Commander Bruce Maddox, played by Brian Brophy. I have to bring up the actor real quick, because I have seen him in a different movie about 20 times. He is in is the he movie. always punchable? I actually, I didn't realize he was in this at first. I'm like, why does he look, he looks familiar. And even after I looked up his character name, like, I know why he's familiar, but I don't remember who he was in the movie. But he was in the movie A Day Without a Mexican, which I love. <laughs> I don't, I've never even heard of that movie. 2004 indie flick. Oh, okay. Um, the premise of which is a weird fog surrounds the entire state of California. Nothing can get in or out. Almost all communications are cut off, and all Mexican and Mexican-descended people disappear overnight. (laughs) Oh, okay, so it is a very straightforward name, is what you're telling me here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a day without a Mexican. Okay. Uh, I highly recommend. Good movie. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, Maddox in this one is automatic. He is just coded to be hateable this entire episode. And actually, when I was thinking about it, he is a great example of microaggressions, oh, which yeah. I will get to in just a moment. But uh, the, the basic of this is Maddox is a robotics professor that is trying to recreate androids like Data, and he clearly does not think of Data as alive. He gets Starfleet to order Data to work for him, and where he openly is going to disassemble Data, and when Data's like, I've got concerns, he's basically like, I don't care. I don't really uh, care. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, he's a great source of example of microaggressions. If you are ever looking for that, Maddox is rude and dismissive. He refers to Data as it throughout almost the entire episode. Data will ask a question and he will look away from Data and answer it to Picard instead. It is a hardcore case of othering, which is very literal in this case because, you know, Android. But if you ever... I've heard of people complain about this happening to them. So it really struck home when I was watching it this time. I should also point out that uh, I did notice in some of the little trivia about this episode that uh, Nunyan Soong would have still been alive at this point. Yes, because he doesn't appear again until he dies in season four, but everyone thinks he's dead. Anyway, just throwing that out yeah, there. Yeah, fuck you, Maddox. Um, and, Matt, of course... Uh, if Maddox would have had his way, Data wouldn't have been a member of Starfleet to begin with. Yeah. He is just the entire time openly... Like, Star Trek doesn't... As, as much as I love to talk about its high-concept ideals, it doesn't necessarily do subtlety well. And Maddox is just unsubtle in his complete sliminess of how Data is treated. I kind of love the the scene where Data makes Picard examine his own personal biases too yeah it's, by pointing out Jordy's eyes which uh, by the way i want Jordy's eyes apparently it gives you massive headaches so i'm not a huge fan but, okay uh, i can do without the headaches but i still the, the idea there. is picard's like i don't want this to happen but like i gotta think of it what would be good for starfleet data like help me out here and data's like well Jordy's eyes are better but we don't make everyone submit to a surgery that would give them Jordy eyes, so if you're making me submit to the surgery, it's because I'm a robot, or I'm an android, he would not like being called a robot. 
True. Uh, and that's kind of shitty. Except he's Data, so he doesn't say it like that at all. But it's a beautifully little acted scene with Picard and Data. And uh, those two were apparently really close friends, in, or are really close friends in real life, too. Because they would record those ready room scenes late at night when everyone uh. else had left. So it'd just be the two of them, like, shooting that's the funny. shit. Well, and that's, this episode very much revolves around Data, but when you get down to it, like, this is Picard. It's a Picard episode, absolutely. Uh, it's almost a weakness of the episode of, Worf has one line, I don't think Diana Troy has a single line in this one. They had more in the extended scenes. Oh, okay, I did hear about that. Uh, which is interesting, because Marina Sirtis, the actress who plays Troy, lists this as one of her favorite episodes they ever did. Which I think is an indication of how strong an episode it's. This is one of the best things we ever did. What'd you do? Not much. Uh, apparently on the Blu-ray there's a 57 minute cut of this. I would watch that. I would too, but I looked through the scenes that are added and they didn't add the scene that I wanted. So The scene I wanted was after Riker has to do his prosecution and Maddox has that shit-eating grin. I wanted them, during that recess afterwards, to meet up and Riker to punch him out. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the classic, like, big Riker punch. Uh, what this leads to is they end up having to go to court to determine... This is kind of a weird, like, you just have to be like, okay. Go to the court to determine whether Data is sentient. And there are so few people there who are qualified to be, like, lawyers for The base this. just got set up. Yeah. That they have, like, a judge, and Picard plays the role of defendant, and Riker has to play the role of prosecution because there has to be a prosecutor. If he doesn't accept the role, Data doesn't stand a chance. And it made for some nice, like, upping the stakes a little bit, but when I was watching it, I was like, why didn't you just make Maddox do it? Yeah. He's the one that believed in the cause. And aren't are they the same rank? They are both commanders, yes. So, but I think be partially because Maddox was clearly going to be a witness, maybe. Uh, but I don't know. I it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you do get to see Riker. Well, and there's probably something with the fact that they were actually stationed there, and he's only there to pick up data. And... That's fair. Uh, and it was interesting because you got to see Riker have his competitiveness like kick up. And there, there's a moment where he's looking things up and he gets this little smile and he's like, that's a winning argument. And then you just watch his face drop and he's like, oh, fuck, that's a winning argument. So we, we didn't get much of it, but it was kind of fun to see Riker torn between like his competitiveness and his, I want data. <laughs> there was, so even before they were in there actually trying the case, just when they were trying to think of like, oh, well, doesn't, you know, can the, can the fucking Enterprise's main computer say no to something? I'm like, yes, but I know how much... I'm not a lawyer, but I know how much the courts tend to rely on precedence. And what's the precedent for fucking uh, computer-holding rank, too? Like, yeah, we're not... The we whole, are in unknown territory The here. entire precedent of his time in Starfleet has been them treating him... Well, and there's a couple episodes that come up after this that specifically references this case as precedence. Data stands up for the rights of another android species later, and I think it comes up in a Voyager episode where the do the emergency medical hologram has, like, a trial for rights. Mm. But just for, like, 
that was the one thing I was like, Picard, bring this up. Like, help out your boy. Be like, he also holds rank. Like, <laughs> he is a lieutenant commander <laughs> and third in command of my freaking ship. Like, when did when did the ship's computer win a fucking Medal of Honor? Because oh, that that scene where he they're arguing whether Data's a machine the first time, and Maddox goes, "Rights, rights." I'm sick of hearing about rights. What about my rights? I'm like, like you punch, you absolute piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you are. The and worst member of Starfleet, and that actually takes some doing, because there's some crappy members of Starfleet. Uh, and punch. No. And punch. God, in the courtroom. Yeah. Fucking... Snodgrass was apparently a actual lawyer before she left to write TV scripts, and this was her first TV script, so first of all, good job, Snodgrass. But, uh, so she had a real sense of, like, how to portray, portray a a courtroom mm-hmm. without even if you can't like actually portray a courtroom she knew like what beats were important did you read that thing on how Roddenberry almost shut, shut down the episode Roddenberry almost shut down a lot of episodes that ended up would have been a terrible idea but did you read his reasoning why yeah go ahead and read it off for us here alright so this was from a, a comment on Snodgrass's blog uh-huh. and is uh, as to the issue of a law in Gene's vision he nearly killed the measure of a man because according to Gene there were no lawyers in the 24th century because if people had criminal intentions they quote had their minds made right I found that chilling that uh, is straight up something from Cool Hand Luke my yeah. mind's on right boss I also pointed out that you have contracts that have to be negotiated and conflicts of law between different legal systems and divorces, etc., etc. There was no way there would be no lawyers in the future. Star Trek fans tend to canonize Roddenberry. We do, in the same way that Marvel fans canonize Stan Lee. And I think it is unfair to both men, because they, it's true, they were visionary dreamers, both of them. But they were also products of their time. They were imperfect. They honestly, in both cases, weren't the strongest storytellers, but were great idea guys. Mm -hmm. They came up with ideas that were better than they were. And they were both pretty sexist. But uh, Marina Sirtis has talked about that with Roddenberry a lot. But I was going to say important here is he had such a good vision of the future, but he wasn't always the strongest TV creator and some of his stuff, he'd be like, well, this. And, like, if you stop and think about it at all, you're like, that's that's not okay. Yeah. Like, that's not how that works. Yeah, that thought on the lawyers is something different. Troy was originally supposed to be, I don't remember if it was triple-breasted or six boobs. Oh. And, like, a nymphomaniac. And one of the women who was high-ranking and making the show was like, we're not doing we're that. Not. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Stop it. No. Um, but fucking Patrick Stewart puts on an acting clinic whenever he's in those courtroom scenes. Yes. Patrick Stewart is the best get Patrick Stewart's the best actor Trek has ever had. And they've had some really good actors and they've had some not so great actors, but like Ooh, Whoopi in this episode. Whoopi kills it too. Uh Picard is Patrick Stewart sells how much Picard cares about Data and how hard a time he's having early on of, like, his concern about Data is almost overshadowing his ability to do his job. Mm-hmm. I did like the really subtle foreshadowing uh, at the end of Riker's prosecution when he says uh, Pinocchio's broken, the strings have been cut. 
Because Pinocchio gets turned into a real boy. The other thing that's worth mentioning there is uh, Riker nicknames Data Pinocchio in the first episode of Trek. Oh, I didn't know that. When Data tells him how he would give up all his android advantages to be human, Riker just stops and smiles and he goes, It's nice to meet you, Pinocchio. So that was a very... That was a several layer statement there that is just devastating when you're like... Fuck, he just took off Data's arm and shut him down. Like, Riker, what the hell? Uh, mm, Picard was right, though. Like, it was a rather convincing argument. Yeah? Like... He had to come back hard on that one. Uh, but he gets this advice from Whoopi. And let's just take a moment to talk about Whoopi Goldberg in Star Trek. Just in general, but also this episode. When I was younger, she was mostly the reason why I would keep watching it when I would turn it on. I liked Lee Goldberg when yeah, I was young. Star Trek is what I know her from, so it's almost the opposite way for me, because I'd watch other things and be like, hey, it's Guinan. Mm. Um, Whoopi was friends with LeVar Burton, because, I don't know, they were friends. And in the first season, Whoopi had been a huge Star Trek fan from the old school. She's got stories about uh, seeing Uhura on being mm. like, holy crap, there's a black woman that's not the maid. So she's like, LeVar, tell them I want to be on Star Trek. And the, the directors were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, this big movie star doesn't want to be on our, like, snotty little sequel to a 70s science fiction that no one believes in. Mm-hmm. And then, see, but, so they didn't call her in. And then, like, when season two was announced, she's like, LeVar. I want to be. Get me on this show. <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, my God, yes. We thought you were, like, uh, and she's brilliant. Every yeah. every scene she's in, she steals it. And actually, she was just... They put Picard, or Patrick Stewart on The View, which she helped host for to advertise Picard. And like live on air, he's like, I got permission from the directors to ask you to be on Picard next season. Will you do it? And she's just like, what the fuck? Of course! Like, <laughs> it's like, if you don't let me, I'm going to beat you the collar purple. Yeah, and she talks <laughs> about it of like... She's described being on Next Gen as one of the high points of her career, which is interesting because she was a movie star, and this was a, like, it's a legend now, but when it first came out, it was a weird sci-fi TV show that no one expected to last. This isn't Sister Act. This isn't Jumpin' Jack Flash. This was the bartender every once in a while on Next Generation. (laughs) Like, and we're still two seasons away from it really being regarded as, like, the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then... Uh, but, r- real quick, like, she talks about... I was gonna say, her oh. her actual, like, speech to him, very subtly, but very pointedly, is like... We're talking about racism here. We're talking about you're, slavery. You're, you're bringing... You, this, create, this is how you create slaves. Yeah, is your cre- if he succeeds, it won't just be a, a you, data, it will be a species. Do you want slaves? Because this is how you create slaves. And having... Having Whoopi Goldberg tell that message, I don't think there's another actor you could have had in that scene. Yeah. Or another character in Star Trek. Like, it wouldn't have worked if Troy had tried to talk him through this. Or Crusher wasn't on this season. Pulaski was the doctor instead. But, like, it wouldn't have worked with Crusher or any of the people that Picard would usually go talk to up to this point. But it's a beautiful moment. And it, it lights a fire under Picard's ass. 
which eventually leads to, I think, one of his finest moments in all of Next Gen. He has these great acting, impassioned speech moments that Patrick Stewart does so well. His whole defense is masterful from the get-go. I loved how his impassioned bit later is really great. I think the very subtle thing he does in the beginning when he's starting his argument and he's having to concede to some of the points that they made and he's really not comfortable looking at anybody saying these things. But he's And also... he's very withdrawn, but he's having to lay them out. Well, and he also does such a good job of sounding so bored with it. Like, being like, yes, Riker, you made your point. He was made by other people. So were you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's got disability so do so does everyone like it's he was made a different way but we were all made so that doesn't really well make a good argument but well and it's kind of like i really hope they don't want to argue this because otherwise we're going to be here for the next week yeah but it just very masterfully just kind of writes off this like really devastating argument and then confronts the fact that data's a person like there is no doubt or question in this data is a person uh, you see Data's medals, and he's got, like, 15 freaking medals in that. And such a beautiful little scene, or moment in the scene, where he asks Data why Data has the medals, and Data's like, I don't know. Is is that vanity? Like, yeah. <laughs> even during this trial to see if he's a person, Data is still curious and trying to grow and trying to understand. Uh. <laughs> Which is kind of the message of this episode, but... Also with the the little pop up, I was like, "Yeah, get it, Data." With Tasha Yar, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, why do you have a picture of this one? And he's like, "I don't really want to say." He's like, "I think Tasha'd be okay with it." Basically, we fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, you see the judge's eyes be like, "Whoa." I am programmed with many different ways of pleasuring. <laughs> Fully functional. Uh, Another one where Data's emotions showed through even though Data doesn't have emotions. And then a really great scene where Picard just picks apart Maddox. Oh, the Seek Out New Life line uh, towards the end of that. I know we just started in on Maddox, but... We want to seek out new life? Well, there it is! While pointing at Data, and I'm like, there it is! Yeah! (laughs) I was just... ah, That was good. That was good. No, he... One by one, picks apart Maddox. I guess you could argue, as you pointed out way earlier in the episode, you could argue that the bluff to mirror the beginning of the episode is the fact that he leaves the consciousness up in the air. Because he's saying, if he possesses even a fraction of this, then we have sentience. Yeah, if, if there's even a real debate about it. Cause the idea of... At this point, are you willing to say that there's not consciousness there? Sentience, they, uh, Mad- he... He tricks Matt, not really tricks, but he gets Maddox to define sentience as uh, intelligence, intelligence, self-awareness, and what was the third one? Conscious. Consciousness. Consciousness, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And he's like, intelligence, is Data smart? He's like, oh yeah, Data's really smart. He does all of these things. They're like, okay, easy. Self-awareness. Hey, Data, what you up to? Oh, I'm going to see if I'm a person. Seems pretty self-aware. He's like, can you... Can you prove that I'm conscious? Can you prove that Data's conscious? That got consciousness? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if and if he does, he's a person, and we're enslaving him. And if he does, like, and if you're saying he doesn't, this will affect life going forward for the rest of history of the Federation. Like, Data is uncorking the bottle. There will always be more artificial life coming forward at this point. You can't 
not have it be a thing. And just the other choice he made when he's going around the room and being, do you, do you? And I feel like nine, nine times out of 10, the third do you from any other actor would have been follow that same pattern and just trail off. Do you? And he makes it stronger. Do you? Right at the judge. Being like, do, do, are you willing to say this? Yeah, are you willing to deny that he's a person when there's all of these person? It was just such a brilliant choice. And it fits in line with the character. And like I said, I feel like most of the time I've seen situations similar in TV and movies. They just continue to trail it off. And it still sounds well, good. Well, and it's very respectful to the judge of like not being confrontational. But we see from the very beginning that Picard is extremely confrontational with this woman that they are extremely hot for each other which again i think was a really weird bit but I, they wanted to add in a human bit for picard i guess i don't know he got some that night oh right? yeah he absolutely got some that night they were like buy me dinner and i'm like but you don't have money <laughs> federation has abandoned money how is he buying you things <laughs> does that mean he's the one that has to walk up to the uh, replicator and be like computer make me a bottle of wine also Earl Grey. Earl Grey tea. I love that Patrick Stewart hates Earl Grey tea. Oh, that's brilliant. He described it as tasting like grass clippings. That's really funny. Which I do not disagree with. Unfortunately, all of that was followed by what I thought was the worst line delivery in the entire episode. What's that? When she gives her ruling. The does Data have a soul part, you didn't, didn't feel it? I didn't feel her line delivery on that. I feel like it makes more sense if they would have been like... Well, I've got to go decide on this. Uh, let's have another recess and then come back. Yeah, they just. But they just she they just turn to her and she's like, "Well," I've... and I'm like, "Ooh, this." Mm. I think this show was just running out of time. Yeah, honestly. I think I, like, I, I think, think it's, it's the same thing. Like, well, we got to fit this into forty five minutes. Uh... And if that's going to be my biggest quibble with this episode, then way to go because it's not that big of a quibble. Yeah. Uh. And then we get a nice little scene at the end. Uh, actually, two things. One, when Data wins personhood, basically, and then refuses to submit to the procedure that would have Maddox take him apart, he tells Maddox, he's like, I think your work is interesting. I just don't think you're ready yet. Like, keep working and keep trying, and I will still be here when we get to a point that I'm comfortable with this. Which I thought was a very... I mean, Data doesn't have emotions, so he doesn't feel like vindictiveness. But it, it it's just such a such a nice little like why Data is so good mm -hmm. kind of thing. And they use Maddox. Um, Data's day is an episode somewhere around the fourth season that follows Data going throughout his average day, and it's like him being the best, the, the, giving away the bride at the wedding of Miles O'Brien, and like just you know, a Romulan plot and just all the stuff from Data's thing. And it is framed as Data writing a letter to Maddox being like, I'm explaining my day to you so you can understand, like, what I'm thinking while I'm going through things. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was nice to see Data just be so kind. And then my, I think my ultimate favorite message of this one is in the very end, Picard, or not Picard, Riker is like hiding out, kind of embarrassed because... He had to try and take out... He had to try and determine that one of his friends, best friends wasn't a person. And he didn't want to deal with people. And Data talked to him about how, like, 
you having to do this hurt you, but it saved me, and I won't forget that. But the the line that I think sums up this episode, I think it sums up Star Trek, I think it sums up a lesson that I, I, I try to live my life by, is every day we get better and better. Because Roddenberry imagined the future where everyone had kind of figured everything out. You, but You don't know how much you have to watch Good Place. But, okay, yeah, I, I know. Uh, but the car, or but, but Star Trek really is all about humanity is better than we were, but we're still, and when we find out we're still not where we think we should be, we're still working to get better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the ultimate message of Star Trek. And even when it gets dark and fucked up and weird, like Deep Space Nine and Discovery do, there is still that underlying, we're trying, that I think is so important. It's even in Picard. Only one episode of Picard has come out, and I already felt some of that. I mean, we're at the end of the episode, and it might be a good time to, to point out. We we picked this... Like a month ago, I And think? now have both watched the first episode of Picard. And without too much spoiler, Maddox's name comes up like six times. I don't know if we'll see Maddox in Picard, but he is a major part of the, like, backstory of this new one. So we picked well. And this new one ha- deals heavily with synthetics how people regard them and yeah it is it's interesting your premonition on (laughs) i I had a feeling as i said i wanted a really strong data picard episode because i knew they were both going to be in picard and this i think is the finest hour of the two of them working together on an episode where it's they are the two main factors of the episode Mm -hmm. uh and can you think of any other episode that would be a more perfect lead-in from Next Gen into Picard? No. Straight up, no. It's... Mm. I've only seen the first episode of Picard. If you get a chance, watch it. It's free on YouTube. I don't uh, know for first, how much longer, but the it first currently episode, is. At least, it is really good. Not uh, much has happened yet in it. It is modern storytelling, not singular, episodic, like Next Gen was. Mm-hmm. But it is really, really good. good. I agree. I really enjoyed what I just watched. And I'm not even in this game as deep as you. Damn, Patrick Stewart can act. Absolutely. And the French was good, too. (laughs) I don't know. I I can't speak French. I love that his pit bull is named number one in in Picard. It made me so happy. Um, Is that it for... Do you have anything else you wanted to add in on Measure of a Man? I, I think it's one of the finest hours. It is... If anyone ever wants to just check out an episode of Star Trek and get an idea of what Star Trek is without having to start from the beginning and in some cases definitely suffer through the really terrible first season, this is my good episode. I also, when I picked this one, specifically wanted one from the first two seasons because they both tend to get written off. Oh, gotcha. And this is... Even though this episode is in there? Yeah. We will definitely do Star Trek again. Next time it'll probably be about the Klingons because I love me some damn Klingons. But yeah, any other any any last thoughts about just Star Trek in general? It was interesting seeing this in high def. Yeah, that's the last fair. the last time I had seen it was on uh, an old CRT. TBS, yeah. Probably. Well, it was my like... old box TV. You know what I mean? And it was on. Yeah. I, what stations did it was it on usa back in the day i think i watched it on usa it's a paramount show i think it was on usa at one point it was on tbs at one point it was originally cbs so yeah so the last time i saw it was you know uh 
four to three. <laughs> Way different ratio than what we're talking about. Um, and as grainy as that TV was. Oh, and yeah. Now it I, was... I had it on VHS, so I definitely had the whole VHS crackle going on that I forget about until I load up an old VHS, and I'm just like, oh god, we... We lived off this. Uh, and it's really tempting me to watch more Star Trek, but I have so much to watch right now I that I'm probably not going understand. to. I really want to now, but it's probably not going to happen at least for a bit. So, oh well. It, it instills in me that want. It's though, so, so good. Uh, any recommendations for this week? My recommendation, beyond how much I already talked up uh, Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark, mm-hmm. is um, Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Oh, I've heard really good things. Uh, especially the, when, when Data references Geordi's eyes, it made me start thinking of it, because, uh, Snow Crash is set in a, uh, future where, uh, a lot of transhumanism has taken place. Okay. And so the ability to upgrade oneself is very apparent, is, happens. Well, that's interesting. I know literally nothing about Snow Crash, so this Um, is... It's in a weird... It's kind of on the edge of being dystopian future, but not quite there. Think more like Mega City 1-ish, except a little bit cleaned up. It's a little up. dystopian there, big guy. Not, it's not quite that bad, though. Okay. But it's also like weird... Um, uh, maybe anarcho-transhumanism gone bad type future... Uh, maybe a little bit closer to like libertarianism type future than uh, anarchy. You have like giant, like the mafia owns giant corporations and there's weird like literal shootouts over like just pizza carriers getting to places on time. Um, But you follow two characters, hero protagonist and YT, which stands for yours truly Uh, hero is a hacker. Yours truly is a courier and they end up with this data packet that is essentially a data-driven narcotic drug called Snow Crash that's kind of causing people to OD, and this novel gets really, really hard to explain because it goes really deep into comparing uh, coding with language, with religion, and poses that the Sumerian language is the... uh, coding language of the human brainstem and the Sumerian goddess Ashura is like the living embodiment of a computer virus. Your recommendation is so much deeper than mine. (laughs) There's a character named Raven who is a superpower. He is in possession of a nuclear device that is uh, like wired into the motorcycle that he rides around on and uh, will go off if he dies. And so he's like a career criminal that goes into countries and is recognized as his own country and is therefore uh, tends to be protected by members of the country that he goes in to like rob the banks of so that he doesn't get killed and cause a nuclear event in their country. Jesus Christ, that is brilliant and weird and messed up. It's amazing early cyberpunk like I said, it's not quite like Mega City One. Mega City One-y. It's slightly dystopian, maybe more like on the Shadowrun sort of end of things. Okay. I, oh man, I love Shadowrun. Uh, let's see recommendations. I had two, and then one of them just disappeared the moment it became my turn. Uh, the first one is going to be the works of Fletcher Hanks. 
He was a comic creator from the early golden age, like 1930s. You can find a lot of his work in a book called You Will Die by Your Own Savage Creation, the work of Flesher Hanks. He is everything that is weird about golden age comic books. Uh, his art style is strange. His two big names, and I use big with about as much quotation marks as you can fit around a thing, is Phantoma and Stardust the Super Wizard. Oh, okay, I know Phantoma. <laughs> Phantoma is notable because she is one of the arguable first three female superheroes ever. She predates Wonder Woman. She might predate the Red Tornado. Uh, she was a jungle girl, which was just a trope of the time, except she had a skull for a face. And then Stardust the Super Wizard was like a magic-using Flash Gordon that lived on Venus. With kind of superman powers. He's awesome. Uh, it is weird and strange, and in a lot of ways not very good, but in a lot of ways just amazing. He was a strange, angry drunk of a man who froze to death on a uh, bench in Central Park. And for a couple years before that made some of the most original comic books that have ever existed. Wow. And yeah, I think that's going to be my recommendation for this week. I think that's all I got. Nice. That's all we have then, right? Other than uh, telling people that they should probably subscribe you to us. You should definitely like and subscribe to us. You should follow us on social media. You should follow us. I think we're, oh, if we're not on YouTube yet, we'll be on YouTube soon. Yeah, we're working um, on that. There's other... I, I have to get my system more. We we work full time jobs. We'll we'll get there. Um, you should check out the other podcasts on the Earworm Network. We have us. We have Fried Squirms. We have the Art of Wargaming. More to come. More to come. Uh, that can all be checked out over at earworm.com. That's e a r v v y r m dot com. Uh, you can also contact us through there or by emailing us generalnerderypodcast at gmail dot com. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. Tell friends about us. Also, Tell ask us, us, about us if you want to hit us up, ask us super nerdy questions because we will have an outlet for those. Yes. If you have ideas of things you'd love to hear us talk about, please. We're, we have the next few episodes determined, but we're doing this every week. We need subjects. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Dismissed.